Hey, podcasters. Wanted to give you a special intro to this new series, With All My Heart. It focuses on loving God with all that we are, our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And if we're going to love God with all of our heart, that means that we're going to have to be redeemed in our emotions. So kind of the main thrust of this morning's message, which serves as kind of a launching pad for the rest of the series, is that emotions are a discipleship issue. They're an issue that we need God to work through. So I hope that you'll be with us through these next three messages after the one today as we talk about loving God with all of our heart. And then I want to give you a special invitation to join us on July 30th, which is our Friend Day. And if you're someone who's local, who listens in on the podcast, we'd love for you to join us here at Faith Church at 10.30 a.m. that morning. We're going to have a wonderful worship service at 10.30, followed by lunch. It'd be a great time to come and check us out for the first time or for the first time in a long time. So let me give you a special invitation to join us July 30th. Here's this past Sunday's message with all my heart. I am so thankful uh, to be with you and to worship the Lord in song, and I hope that as we shift our focus into God's Word, uh, that it will dwell richly among us, that the Lord's presence will be here with us, and that He will speak to our hearts. If you would, join me in Matthew 22. We're going to look at a passage of Scripture uh, that uh, several of the Gospels record, a conversation that Jesus has, and in it, Jesus is quoting the law But he is pointing out which of the law, which commandments of the law is the most important. Today we start a series entitled, With All My Heart, and it's about matters of the heart. Last week when we looked at Nehemiah, we saw that even when they rebuilt the wall and they had rebuilt the temple, they had reinstituted the laws and the customs of the Jewish people, even with all of that, they still were far from God. That even when they had all of the stuff that went along with church and went along with following God, their hearts weren't close to him. And that Nehemiah couldn't force the people to do what was right because of their hearts. And I hope that this morning and the next several Sundays, as we talk about our hearts, that God will do this work in us that, that brings us close to him that brings us to this place that we can love Him with all that we are. Every piece of us. Laying under all of this is our emphasis on a need to to build the church that God is calling us to build, to build the the group that God is calling us to to lead, to, to, to establish the church that our neighbors will one day attend and our children will one day lead. And just as the original core group was a normal group of people that God transformed, He did a work in their lives, God wishes to do that in us. We need our core group to be willing to step up, to be willing to serve, but primarily and most importantly, we need to grow up in Christ. We need to grow up in Christ. That's what needs to happen. There needs to be discipleship that happens in us. There needs to be this longing to know Christ, longing to become more like Him. That needs to happen. And that happens not only by digging into God's Word, but digging deep into our hearts. It happens not just by becoming more aware of the information in Scripture, but applying the truth of Scripture to who we are. You see, transformation happens not when I know more, 
Transformation happens not when I do more. Transformation happens when I am more like Christ. That's what transformation is. So that means that growth, that means that becoming more like Jesus is not Bible knowledge. It's not, it's not the honing of, of spiritual gifts or skills and leadership. It's not the development of talents. It's not an addition of more service or, or more volunteering. Spiritual growth is heart transformation. It's our hearts being changed. And so when we say with all my heart, it's every part of my heart being changed. And I, wanna, I want you to see that Christ speaks directly to this. Several places in the gospel, but really, really hones in, really makes it clear here in Matthew 22. We're going to read verses 34 to 40. Matthew 22, verses 34 to 40. But when the Pharisees had heard that he put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. These two different camps, these warring factions of religious leaders. They hear that the other one has been silenced, so they come up to to do their best. They're going to take their best shot at arguing with Jesus. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him, saying, he's asking Jesus a question, but it's not so much that he really wants to know the information. He's trying to get Jesus to say something that will cause controversy. It's a gotcha question. tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Now, the reason that he asked this question, tempting Jesus, is that if he can get Jesus to say that this commandment is most important, then they will immediately say, Jesus doesn't think this commandment is most important, and Jesus doesn't think this commandment is most important. So Jesus has to answer him well. And Jesus answers him well because Jesus answers with the truth. Jesus says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Hang all the law and the prophets. Now, when Jesus says this, he doesn't give them a brand new command. He quotes one that is from Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's the Shema. It's one that they would have been familiar with. But he's making it clear, it is the most important. And on this law hangs everything else. Now, I want to get down to the nitty gritty of what Jesus is saying here. But but first, let's just kind of take a wide angle view and and then we'll, we'll zoom in. When Jesus answers the lawyer, the general spirit of this is the greatest command is to love God entirely. Can you agree with me on that? He's saying love God with all that you are. Love him with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. It's every bit of us. He's saying every bit of you loves the Lord, loves God with every piece of you. Mark and Luke, when they give us this story, they include all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all of your strength. There is no piece of us that is left out on the playing field here. There is no piece of us that is not included in this devotion and love for God. All of us, every bit of us. Jesus is saying that we're to love him with all that we are. So the greatest command is to love God with every bit of us, with all that we are. 
Everything else is based upon this. But here in this command, one of the pieces of us that Jesus mentions is the heart. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Now, we use this word all of the time. We use the word heart all of the time. We say things like, you need to ask Jesus into your heart. Or you need to give your heart to Jesus. At camp, at teen camp two weeks ago, I was working with the counselors. One of the counselors came in the meeting. He said, I just want to encourage everybody. Let's try to be very clear in what we're saying. Because last night after the service, a student came to me and said, Bill, Bill Sheets, one of the counselors. If you, if you work at camp, you get to know Bill. He's a great guy. Bill says, this guy, kid, he comes to me and he says, he says, the preacher said that I need to give Jesus my heart, but Bill, don't I need my heart to live? <laughs> he, he couldn't understand. How am I going to give my heart away and still live for Jesus? We're not talking about the, the muscles and valves and tissue that pump blood through our bodies. What are we talking about? We're talking about the, the center of our emotions. We're talking about the center of our affections and our, our passions. We use this word all the time when we say things like, I love you with all my heart. When we have someone that we care about and they don't care about us, when there's unrequited love, what are we? We are heartbroken, right? It's our, our love, our passion, our emotions. This is a figurative Word. We're saying the word heart, and you might picture in your mind the, the little shape. Or you might think in your mind of the anatomy of a heart. But what God is calling us to do is to love Him with all of our affection, all of our emotion, the center of our life. Larry Pierce finds the biblical use of the word uh, heart as the soul or mind, as it is the fountain um, and seed of thoughts, passion, desires, appetites, affections and emotions strong in james strong's book on the greek word says it is the thoughts or the feeling we love god with all of our mind our thinking our our knowledge of him but also our heart our feeling our love and scripture uses this word figuratively in matthew just in matthew jesus uses this word to say blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. He says in Matthew 6.21, still part of the Sermon on the Mount, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. It's not that where your dollars are, that's where your valves and pumps are. It's where your money is, is where your emotions will be, where your feelings will be, where your passion will be. Jesus would say in Matthew 13.15, this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears have become dull, and their eyes have been closed. Here he's given us a picture of the heart and the ears and the eyes, and they're all the same. They have become closed off to God's truth. Lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart, they would be converted and I would heal them. When we are able to listen and see the truth of God, our heart is converted. But here's what I want you to notice. Jesus uses the words heart and soul and mind. And we often think of our relationship with God on a a, a merely a, a mental level. I believe, I trust, I know scripture. 
And so I have a spiritual relationship with him. And all of that is right. We need to know truth. Proverbs was talking clearly about that, about the need to know truth. We have a soul, and that is what connects us to God. That is the part of us that is eternal. But he's also mentioning the heart here. See, God has called us to love him with our affections, our passions, our emotions. It's no wonder that Scripture tells us that Jesus is our hope, our joy, our peace, and these are all emotional words. Some of you, I know, right now you're pumping the brakes because I've used the word emotion like three times and you're like, whoa, this is going to be about emotions. I'm not an emotional person. I'm just not emotional. I'm rational and I'm logical. I don't cry at movies. I don't tell everybody how I'm feeling all the time. I'm not an emotional person. The truth is that while there are many varying degrees of how expressive we are of our emotions, we are all emotional people. Some people, they wear their emotions on their sleeve. If they're having a bad day, you, you see it a mile away, right? They're going to they're gonna share with everybody. There's a tender moment in a movie, they're going to bawl, you know? They're, they're expressive in their emotions, There are varying degrees of how expressive we are in our emotions, but we are all emotional beings. We are all emotional people. And it may be that you're the the more reserved on the spectrum of emotional people. That if you're going to cry, I mean, it's going to have to be like the world is ending. If people saw you get emotional, they would be terrified because you never get emotional. Right? Or you're on the other end. You're super expressive. And if people saw you emotional, be like, yeah, it's Tuesday. Because that's just how they are. (laughs) They're always getting emotional. Wherever you're at on this spectrum of how expressive you are in your emotions, you are emotional. Everyone experiences emotion, but we're all different in how we express or display that emotion. So if you're here and you're saying, well, Pastor Dan, I don't know if this message is for me because I'm not a very emotional person. You're not an expressively emotional person, but you're an emotional person. Just in a physiological sense, you're an emotional person. Because when you experience something, when you smell something, or you taste something, or you feel something, or you hear something, or you see something, your senses, the five senses, they capture that information and it starts here at the back of your head, at the top of your spinal cord. And all of those senses, they begin to transmit the information and it passes from the back of your head to the front of your head. So in the back of your mind here is the, the spinal cord. That's where all the senses and feeling and nerves communicate to the front of your brain where there is rational and logical thought. But to get from here to here, it has to pass through the middle. And you know what's in the middle? All of your emotions. It goes right through there. That's the reason if a friend of yours jumps out from behind a door and scares you, that you are terrified because in that moment between it coming from here to here and you go, oh, that's my friend just messing around, it passes through here where you say, someone's killing me. (laughs) That's the reason that when something happens that upsets us, before we have the opportunity to rationalize it and think about it and say, I I shouldn't lose my cool over this. It's not a big deal. It has to go through here, and we lose our cool. We lose our temper. 
Chris Lazo is a, is a pastor, and, and he, he's done some really good writing and preaching on this. And he was actually preaching at a church in California on this very topic when in the middle of the message, there was a tremor, a little mini earthquake. And so if you watch the video, he's, he's just right in the middle of a sermon, and then everybody just stops. And you can kind of tell that behind him the displays are shaking. And then it, it stops. And everybody kind of just laughs out loud, like, oh, wow, you know, that caught us off guard. And he said, right there in that moment, we all experienced something. And before we had time to process to say, I'm in California, tremors are normal, this is probably not a big deal, everybody started to panic for a moment because it passed through that emotional place in our brain. This is the reason that when we make a decision and we know that we no longer need to participate in some activity, that our emotions hijack our thinking and then we lose our cool or we do something we said that we wouldn't do. So if God has called us to love Him with all that we are and this is a part of us, then Scripture needs to come to bear on every bit of us, including this. This is the reason that we know right from wrong. We make commitments to do right, but then in the heat of a moment... Or because we are feeling incredibly sad or feeling incredibly lonely, we make exceptions to the commitments that we have made. Because our emotions hijack our commitments and the things that we have decided. Now get this. Everyone is emotional. No matter how expressive you are of your emotions. And everyone is shaped by your emotions. No matter how expressive you are, your life, your decision-making, your thinking is somewhat shaped and influenced by your emotions. Even if you don't tell everyone how you feel, it informs the way that you think and who you are and the decisions that you make. There are many times that we don't tell anyone what we're feeling. We are keeping our anger, our bitterness, our rage, our depression, our sadness, our loneliness. We're keeping it to ourselves, but it is influencing the decisions that we make day after day after day. And I think that at times, the emotions that we express the least can be the ones that shape us the most. And those emotions that we've locked away, we've kept anyone from knowing about them, they grow. And they grab more and more of our life and influence and shape us. What do we read in Proverbs 4 just a few minutes ago? Verse 23 says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Keep your heart with all diligence because out of it comes all of the the life, all of the decisions, all of the thinking, all of the, the issues of life. Scripture gives us this idea that, that the heart is, is kind of this source and everything flows from it. In, in Matthew, again, just a, a few chapters back in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus is speaking to the hypocrites and he says in verses 34 and 35, you generation of vipers, you snakes, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth evil things. The idea that's portrayed again and again and again in Scripture is that our hearts, 
will inform the things that we say and do and decisions that we make. Our hearts shape our lives. Our hearts shape our lives. And if we're to love God with all that we are, and our hearts shape so much about us, then we need to be clear on the fact that our emotions, our heart, our passions, our loves need to be redeemed. But we don't like to talk about this because emotions are a really tricky thing, aren't they? They're very tricky. You know what I've noticed? I've noticed that we, we typically enjoy finding people who are on the same place in the spectrum as us, right? So if you're more reserved, you look at your family that's super expressive and tells everyone how they're feeling all the time, and you say, they're crazy. I don't want to be around them. That makes me uncomfortable. You know, I, I think I've seen this also bear out in the way that people who are church shopping, when I say church shopping, they, they've, they've grown tired of where they were going to church, and they've decided they want to find a new church. They're going to go looking for a church that is similar in expressiveness of emotion. So they're going to look for a church that everybody expresses emotion in worship the same way that they do, right? If they're the kind of person that they express when the Spirit is working in their heart by raising their hand and they go to a church that nobody raised their hand, like, this is it's not the place for me. Everybody may be experiencing that emotion, but we always want to be around people who express it in the same degree that we do. But constantly in our lives, we bump into people who they live their life differently than us, express what they're feeling differently than us, but we're all shaped by this. So let me be clear. I'm not asking you to become more expressive in your emotions. The goal of this message is not for you to become equally expressive or less expressive wherever you are in the spectrum relative to me. I'm not asking you to become more expressive of your emotions. Guys, I'm not trying to get you to cry, okay? That's not what this is about. What I am asking you to do is be honest about the fact that our emotions and our hearts shape the decisions that we make, the life that we live. I think Ephesians chapter 4 is really helpful in this. Because it's in Ephesians chapter 4 that Paul says... Be angry and sin not. Isn't that wonderful? Anger isn't a sin. Anger is an emotion, and that's not the sin. What is the sin? He goes on to make it clear, but don't allow your heart to become bitter. And don't have hate. And don't rage. In other words, he's saying, manage the emotion of anger. He even gives the very clear guidance of don't let the sun go down on your wrath. In other words, if you allow that emotion to fester, it's going to turn into bitterness. It's going to turn into rage. It's going to turn into hate. And there are some of you, there are people in your life that you can't stand to be around them. You can't stand them. You have this, this low-grade bitterness or even grown into hatred. And it's not because they're, they're so horrible, but you were angry and you didn't do anything about it and it just grew. And grew. And that emotion, run amok, is shaping your life. So clearly, there is some responsibility that we have in how we manage our emotions and what we allow our emotions to prompt us to do. We are accountable for what we do with our emotions. 
So, okay, well, Pastor Daniel, I, I just need to quarantine off my emotions because obviously if I, if I get angry and I'll, get, I'll sin, so I'm just not going to get angry. That's what our world tries to do. Our world, our culture will tell you, you just need to, you just need to numb your emotions. We got a pill for that. We got a substance for that. When you start to feel that, you take that. You drink that. So that your emotion doesn't run amok. That's not what God calls us to do. It's not what he, he asks us to do. He asks us to be angry and sin not. Our hearts, our emotions should be redeemed just like every other part of us. So if we're called to love God with all that we are and our emotions are a part of who we are, not only that, our emotions shape so much of who we are, then our emotions need to be transformed by God. Our hearts need to be transformed by God. This means that our emotions, that it's a discipleship issue. That if we're going to grow closer to Christ, then He's going to affect the way that our emotions are managed or the way they manage us. You know, it's interesting, I mean, Philippians chapter 4, everybody loves Philippians chapter 4 because there is the passage that says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. But do you know what else it says? Turn there. Turn to Philippians chapter 4 real quick. The verses leading up to that make it really clear that he's speaking about something specific here. Verse 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious or careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Then he says, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, Think on these things, those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Look down at verse 11. He's mentioned that they're being generous to him. He says, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned, and whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound, Everywhere in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. He says, I've learned in whatever condition I'm in, there to be content. And do you notice that he uses the word learned? Because it wasn't natural. It's not natural to be content in every circumstance. That's something that we learn in Christ. You know what's normal? What's normal is my emotions and how I feel right now is depending upon how things are going for me right now. So if things are going well, I'm happy. Life is awesome. But if I stub my toe or somebody cuts me off in traffic or I lose my keys, then everything just takes a nosedive, right? And Paul's talking about matters that are much more serious than stubbing your toe or losing your keys. He's talking about being tortured, being beaten, being arrested. And he has learned how to be content in all of these situations. How? Because Christ had come into his life and had transformed all of the pieces of him, even his heart, even the portion of his heart where the emotions lie. 
What if our emotions weren't a thermometer? What if they were a thermostat? You know the difference between a thermometer and a thermostat, right? A thermometer tells you what the temperature is in the room. And that's where some of us are. Our emotions are just a reflection of how things are going right now around us. Things are going badly. I'm upset. I'm angry. I'm not happy. Life is not fair. Things are going great. Man, everything is awesome. God is good. That's a thermometer. And if if we allow it, our emotions will act like a thermometer. But as God works in our hearts and our, our hearts, our emotions are redeemed, what if instead it's like a thermostat? Now, a thermostat reads the temperature of a room reads the conditions that are, are, are at play. But then it connects to a great power source, power source, the HVAC unit, which inside that building, inside that room, causes it to be much cooler than it is outside that room. And our emotions can serve as signals to what, that we need to rely on Christ. We need His power to make sure that is what is happening in here is not merely reflective of what's out here, but what's happening in here is vastly different from what is out here. So when it's hot outside, it's still cool in here. And when it's frigid outside, it's still warm in here. Because my emotions have signaled, I need Christ. I need His power. I need His work in me. And a marker of spiritual maturity, a sign that we have grown in Christ, is that our heart will be shaped by Christ, not our circumstances. Think about that. Your heart could be based on Christ and not your circumstances. And you know what's wonderful about that? Jesus is awesome today and tomorrow. And your circumstances, the forecast on that is gloomy and dark. There are going to be some really tough times. Some of you are going through them right now. But what if Christ could be the strength in your heart and life so that even when conditions around you are awful, even when things around you are going, they're a mess, that that signals that you need more of Christ. That doesn't mean that we come to this place where no matter what's happening, I'm happy all the time. Because Jesus, when he lived among us, he had emotion. And he didn't always feel great. The best example of this is Luke 11.35, the shortest verse in Scripture, and it's Jesus has come to the tomb of his friend who has died, Lazarus. He's about to raise him up from the dead, and he cries. Before that, when he sees everybody else mourning, he grumbles, he moans in his spirit. Now Think about this for a moment. Who knows better the future that awaits Lazarus. Who knows better what God is capable to do for Lazarus than Jesus? In that moment, Jesus knows he's going to be resurrected, that he has this eternal hope and future. Nobody knows that better than Jesus, but he's still emotional. And there have been times that some of you, you're going through a tough time and you say, Pastor Daniel, I know that God works all things together for good, but I just can't. And you almost apologize to me. That you're, that you're struggling with the emotion of grief or fear. Pastor Dan, I, I know, but you can know that truth. It still experience this heartbreak, still experience this difficulty, still experience this grief. If you didn't, that would be a problem. See, the solution is not to break the thermostat. Say, hey, it's getting, it's getting warm in here. The thermostat's not working. Let's just smash it so we don't know how hot it is in here. 
No, the solution is to make sure it's plugged in to the power source that can change the condition of our hearts regardless of what the condition is outside. God wishes to redeem our very hearts. I know that I've kept you, but let me just tell you how this has made a difference in my own life. When I was in junior high, I was incredibly rebellious. I loved to talk back to my teachers. Like, I took joy in it. Proverbs said, they, they do not rest until they have done some harm. I didn't count it a good day until I had talked back to somebody, until I had argued with someone. That, that, was my, that was my mentality. And I got to the place where I was in so much trouble that I was on the brink of being expelled. I'd served 11 days and in school suspension. I knew that if I got expelled from school, I was going to be in a lot of trouble. And so I just stopped saying things. The teacher would... I would just, I wouldn't say anything. I would say, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. Yes, sir, no, sir. But I kept getting in trouble. You know why? Because even when my mouth wasn't moving, everything I was thinking was written all over my face. I remember my dad sat me down after I'd gotten in trouble again, and I was like, I didn't even say anything. He said, Dan, you have to realize that your face is incredibly, incredibly expressive. And they can read everything that you're thinking. So was the solution just to say, okay, I'm not going to allow myself to have any facial expression? No. The solution was in a church service on a Sunday morning, God got a hold of my heart. And I came to the altar and I confessed the anger and bitterness that I was feeling. And after that, I didn't have to hide what I was feeling. I didn't have to keep myself from saying because the source, my heart, had been changed. This morning, some of you are working really, really hard to hide your feelings. You're working really, really hard to make sure that nobody knows. You're working really, really hard to make sure that your emotions don't determine some destructive behavior. Go to the source and allow God to change your heart. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer.